Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. Hey guys, episode 45 of the Louisiana Bowhunter podcast. Today we're on the phone with Harmon Carson out of Houghton, Louisiana. We usually keep up with Harmon, and this year we haven't been able to catch him because he's been so busy in his uh, in his job. He's got a taxidermy company that's, that's blowing up and, and, and doing fantastic things, and so uh, he's still finding time to hunt a little bit, a lot more than me, and uh, we're going to get an update <laughs> from him and talk, most importantly, about saddles. Finally, I know y'all have been waiting on that. Some of y'all have been uh, looking forward to some information. So, Harmon, thanks for joining Lock It Out tonight, man. Yeah, man, I appreciate y'all having me. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, finding some time to, to do this with us. Um, and, uh, Lock, how are you doing, man? man? I'm doing good. I'm trying to fit in a hunt or two here and there. I came really close. Last week, I had a dentist appointment, and so I was able to kind of take a day off work and uh schedule my appointment in the middle of the day so i could hunt morning and evening and um as i was walking out of the woods to go get dressed for my appointment i slipped up in a food plot and I, you know the only thing that really made this all happen oddly how these strange things come together there's a, a little group of trees in, in right by the road in this food plot and an, an old rotten pine tree had kind of fallen in that little bunch of trees and it hung up in some vines and I stopped in the road to kind of, I was just kind of assessing the situation. I was thinking, you know, like, how am I going to get in here and, you know, get this out and, you know, clean this mess up. And this is on my family place. So I'm trying to look at that. And as I'm standing there, something catches my attention and a doe comes running by and, she crosses the road right in front of me and, and goes off to the right. And I kind of stepped forward and was watching her my binoculars. And when I put my binoculars down, I'm standing there, my bow on the ground, leaning against my leg and watching her. And as I put my binoculars down, there's a stud eight point standing 35 yards in front of me, broadside <laughs> in the road. Oh my God. And I'm like, I'm like, Oh my. And he doesn't know I'm there. So he just kind of eases off and I, you know, scramble and 
get up off the edge of the road and get everything ready because he's kind of you know nudging her around and thinking they may come back across the road and as i'm doing all this i start digging i got my boat in my left hand i'm on my knees off off the side of the road and i'm digging in the in the backpack for my rangefinder and she comes back across the road and i know he's coming you know and i'm just frantically trying to grab my rangefinder and he he comes to the road and he stands right in the edge of the road broadside and i know he's he's i know he's in range but he's far enough that i can't guess he's anywhere from 30 to 50 yards you know and on the ground these open pines it just i couldn't you know as it turns out he he ended up going off with her and i I ranged the tree he was standing by and he was 42 yards. The tree was 42 yards, so he was probably about 45. And I would have guessed pretty close to right, but I just wasn't going to take that shot. And yeah. So my season, you know, that's how it's going. My dad killed the deer two days later. So oh, well. <laughs> killed, killed that deer? Yeah, he killed it. Uh, oh. That was a Tuesday. He killed it on Thursday. Nice. Um, I, uh, so. I, I hunted a piece of publicly and I went. I did what I don't, what I've said I don't like to do. Um, went in blind, you know, kind of threw a threw a dart at a map and and um, put, picked a game plan based on some terrain and topography in an area I never never been before and um, uh, ended up seeing three does on stand and um, and I saw two more going to going to meet another buddy of mine that was um, hunting about two hundred and fifty yards away and. Um, it wasn't a bad hunt, but I um had I, I actually um Jay James called me when I was in the stand, <clears throat> and uh, I answered. I, I I always answer the phone all all the time, and um I've been in sales for too long to not answer the phone. Like when y'all get numbers you don't know, you're like that's a scam call. I'm not answer that. I'm like hello, this is Kyler. You know like that's. <laughs> It's every one of them. I'm like, man, this is this could be uh, this could be next next, next order, thing. you know, and yep. and so um, Jay calls me Sunday morning, and um, and so I answer the phone, and um, it was 15 seconds after one of the strangest experiences of my life watching a deer in the wild. Um, I've seen young deer like frolic around, like you know when they jump around like idiots. Like like yeah. they, like they literally like jump and spin, you know. It's, like they're shadow boxing. It's, somebody yeah, else. yeah. It's it's usually <laughs> like it's usually like a, a spotted fawn, you know, or or yeah. a yearling, and it's also usually when there's like three or four other deer around, because like, they're jumping around like morons. And um, but I've never had a, a deer do this. Um, I, it, it had rained that morning, so the ground was real wet, and it was, um, you know, no, nothing was making any noise walking. And um, I saw, I was playing on my phone, and um, I saw above my phone, like, it can't be my peripheral, that's your side, it's more like, you know, up, you know, the upper part of my vision. I saw a streak about 60 yards in front of me, and it was through some palmettos, and it was thin palmettos, like, it wasn't like thistle weight palmettos it was more kind of open and um it was a streak and and I watched it go from my damn near from my 10 o'clock all the way to my two or three o'clock and it was so fast and small that um I thought it was a like a low flying owl okay like tr- like like <laughs> about to scoop something up off the ground like that's how fast and quiet it was. I never heard it make a sound at all. 
And it got about to my two o'clock and it took a hard right, which is coming to my right. And um, it was the smallest doe I've ever seen. If she weighed 45 pounds, I would have been shocked. Looked like a small dog. And it was <laughs> on a wide open sprint. I, I don't mean like a gallop, like a, like a running away sprint. I mean like a greyhound chasing a mechanical rabbit sprint. And it ran all the way past me, ran behind me about 80 yards, and then disappeared. And about eight, ten seconds later, followed the same path back, wide open sprint, all the way up my right side, took a left where it had taken a right earlier, Went back out in the palmettos, crossed a slough, like like a shallow little, um, just some water hole in the woods, and um, it disappeared. And about 10 seconds later, it did the same thing again on my left side and just stopped. And it stopped about 35 yards from me, and it was just sitting there panting. And I'm not kidding you. I thought it was exercising. <laughs> well, you know what that is. What? You know what that is? What? It's, she's going into heat for the first time. Is that it's a what? young doe. It's a young doe that's going in the heat, and they, when when you see yearlings act that way late in the season, that's it's a first year deer that doesn't know what's happening. You know, it's it's experiencing that, and I mean, I guess we could even go as far as to say it maybe it feels it and uncomfortably or something. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that's what I've always been told, and and I've seen it actually come all the way to fruition, specifically up in the Midwest where you see yearlings going above and beyond like you said just really above and beyond what you normally see with them just playing around and they'll run you know clean out of sight as far as you can hear and see them and then a second later they come running back and they run they're basically i've always been told and i I said i've seen it where that happened for a while and then finally a buck came up and started nudging the deer and um, I've, i've always heard it's a young doe that's never experienced estrus and it's just a you know, whatever it does to them, it just kind of freaks them out, and and they, they do that. It was the strangest thing. That's to yeah, that's new to me. I've never heard. I've seen them run around like that, but I've never heard that it was a, uh, um, you know, them coming into estrus for the first time. But that makes sense. Man, I'm talking full clip, wide open, 100 percent sprint. She, yep. she didn't know what to do mm-hmm. with all the feels. All the yeah. feels, man. She, she was itching. <laughs> oh, just man. a little itch. It was so weird. Um, and then, and then, like, ten seconds later, Jay calls me, and I'm like, let me tell you what just freaking happened. <laughs> I was like, I was like, there's a deer 35 yards. He was like, right now? And I was like, yeah, dude. I was like, it's, I mean, the thing weighs, if I shot this thing, I'd get about 11 pounds of meat off of it, you know? And, and so um, – I just thought it was the oddest thing. And then uh, and then uh, about an hour and a half later, I was about to pack up and climb down. Um, and, uh, you know, I was hunting an area. I was hunting an area that um, I could pretty much, like, call midday movement. Like, I could point to left field with a bat and be like, yeah, they're going to move between, like, 930 and 1. And, and this was a different place, and I wasn't sure. I know it was it's post-rut, and so it was more like a principal hunt rather than a, hey, I think I'm going to kill something hunt. And uh, and so we hunted until 11, and at 11 o'clock – or no, I'm sorry, like 10.30, I was about to pack up and climb down. And um, I put, put my bag 
on my uh, seat of my deer stand, and I was eating an RX bar, like a like a, just a little snack bar thing. And I was about two bites left in that thing, and here come two more does. Right, and I was like, "Son of a bitch, here they are!" You know, and they were at 45, 50 yards. They're they were out of range, and they never got any closer. But um, you know, I it, I I end every season not having any issues hunting until 12, sometimes even one o'clock without, without issue. But I start every season struggling to hunt past nine o'clock, you know? Um, and, uh, but this is a time of year where they just move all day sometimes, you know? Dude, I couldn't tell you the last time I hunted past nine o'clock. Hey, don't tell like, me that, man. You've, you've had a bang up season. So the last thing I need to know is like how little time you spend to kill all the stuff that you have. <laughs> no, no, normally, normally I'm especially now, but normally I am like the conditions have to be just right. And I have to just catch a day where I'm not getting phone calls for me to actually be able to sit in a tree past nine o'clock most of the time I'm back in my shop by nine o'clock. Oh God. Uh, oh. Like I just cause I have to. And that was, is, is a bit of a frustration. I mean, it's, I'm not complaining, but at the same time, like once the rut hits, I'm, um, I might only hunt for 45 minutes. Yeah. Like I can't count the hunts that I had this year. Uh, basically the whole first now, early October, before I start taking in a lot of work, I'm able to get in, you know, fairly normal hunts. I can hunt till 830. Uh, I'll hunt actually two nine o'clock, be in my shop, uh, you know, quick. Um, I, I, you know, depending on where I'm hunting also depends on whether or not, uh, you know, what time, how late I'm hunting. You know, mm-hmm. if I'm having a hike a mile and a half, I might. I might be getting down out of the tree a lot earlier than if I'm hunting, you know, a lease or land. I have permission where I'm only able to only, you know, I'm not having to hike near as far. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going to dictate a lot, but yeah, man, a lot of my hunts, I'm, I'm hunting like 45 minutes to an hour and a half. And then I'll come back, I'll work the bulk of the day, uh, and then try to, you know, stay gauge whether or not I'm going to be getting phone calls or what I, you know, what type of work I have set out at the time, uh, whether or not I can catch the last hour and a half of dark or daylight. And, uh, and that's how the bulk of my year has gone. Uh, like I said, except for really early in October and then, uh, in January, uh, right around new year's, things kind of start tapering off where I'm not quite as slammed where I can actually get in a little bit normal. It feels like normal hunts, um, but other than that, yeah, like late October, November, and the bulk of December, it's like little bitty hour and a half hunts tops. Yeah. Like it's it's pretty crazy. So tell tell us um, what's the name of your of your business? Uh, New Life Taxidermy. Uh, it's up here in Halton, and man, this year this is it's it's just been steadily steadily growing. Um, this is the third year I have advertised. Um, my second deer season to be full time. It's the third year I've advertised, and um, I've just—it's just steady growth. I took in over 150 deer uh, shoulder nice. mounts this year, and um, that's not including ducks and bobcats and bears and elk and all that kind of stuff. Hogs. Um, yeah. yeah and, uh, I saw I saw your post about um, why hogs are more expensive than deer. I was. Um, 
kind of interesting about I didn't realize the preparation for a hog was that much more intense than, than other animals. Oh, dude, it is ridiculous. There's not a taxidermist around. And if if they tell you otherwise, they're probably lying. Um, they're, they're, they are absolute, unless you catch, um, like, this doesn't happen very often, but uh, if you were to get taken a, a a pig or a boar or whatever that's been cut he doesn't have the big shield um those are not as bad it's just fatty and greasy and it's not as nasty that to deal with because you're just dealing with fat like nasty yeah. fat yeah, yeah. um but like a typical boar uh that hasn't been cut you know he's got a shield on him that is a minimum an inch thick uh sometimes i've, I've had them in um, you know, up to two inches thick, you know, when you're talking one of the big cutters, like an old, an old pig, um, that's worth getting mounted. You've got this massive amount of shield and the shield is like a combination of cartilage skin and fat, like this really dense fat, but it's, it's like a cartilage. And I don't know how to describe it other than that, Mm -hmm. but I have to go through, uh, and you have to basically shave the whole thing off um, by hand with, a with, you know, I use a scalpel, but I'm, I'm cutting them and cutting it in chunks, uh, to that's to even be able to bundle it, to roll it up, to get it in the freezer. So it's not taking up half of my freezer. Mm. Um, so you have to go through and cut it all out in these chunks by hand. And that's before I put it on the fleshing machine. And it's so dense that I've actually had it bog my fleshing machine down to where it tripped a breaker. Um, and that's, that's after I went through the, over the entire thing by hand with the scalpel. And, uh, so it's just a, it's a, and that's, that's not including all the degreasing and trying to pull all the fat and oil and grease out of the nasty things or pressure washing the mud off of the hair, uh, getting all that clean. And just, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of work on a pig. It's a heck of a lot more work than, uh, than deer, and that's not including the inner mouth work uh, on the actual mounting process. I'm, I'm looking up. Uh, I'm looking up a, a fleshing machine on Google. I'm, I'm before I hit enter. I'd just like to say I'm kind of afraid of the results that I'm going to get. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I feel like that could be. This could go a couple different yeah. ways. <laughs> um, but. Uh, Okay, so it's like a what is like a like a almost like a dull saw blade that helps knock the skin off of stuff. Or how is that? No, no, no. It's a it's about a twelve inch razor. It's a it's a blade, uh, just a round disc um, that has a that instead of the blade being straight, it's curved. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a lip on it that is razor sharp, and there there is a guard that goes over the top of it. And then you have uh, like a depth setting that um, which they're they're safety guards that you set based on how you like to shave and what you're working with and all that. Uh, And then basically you lay or lean onto that guard where you're basically leaning over that blade and you have to pull the hide. Um, You have to it's kind of hard to explain, but you're you're pulling the skin as tight as you can. Like so you've got a handful of skin pulling it really, really tight. And then you're moving back and forth across that blade as that blade's going, and you're sitting there just shaving it down little by little. And uh, and I've, I've had had it be so dense on pigs that it actually bogged that machine down. <clears throat> so all right, so I'm I'm looking at I'm looking at something right now. It says just the guy just explaining his process. I prefer to flesh my hide after they've been in the pickle for at least a day. What the hell is a pickle? 
<laughs> what is that? <laughs> it's a basically it's a it's a it's how you um, neutral not neutralize. It's getting the pH level of the hide correctly. Okay. Um, so you you're you're killing all the bacteria and it's a I don't really know how to explain this very good. Uh, but it's a it's a liquid. It's like a chem. It's chemical that you put in, put your hide in, uh, that balances the pH of the hide, where you're not able to grow any bacteria or anything like that. Gotcha. And that's what you do before you actually tan it. So, uh, and it actually causes it gets in the the skin, soaks it up, and it plumps the skin, mm-hmm. and the skin will swell, um, and that helps you shave the skin down uh, much much thinner gotcha. uh, than what you would without it. Okay. Um... All right, so um, tell us uh, tell us a little bit about your season so far this year. I know it's not over yet, but I mean, you might kill eleven more things before Friday. <laughs> well, it's 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 been one of the best years I've had in terms of quantity and quality of quantity, mm-hmm. but it's also been one of the most difficult, if that makes any sense at all. Um, so. As I said a minute ago, all of my I've had very very short hunts, um, and all of my hunts I've had to, you know, I'm I'm walking. This is on on all different types of property, you know, from private to public to lease to just learning to have permission to hunt on. You know, it doesn't matter. Like wherever I'm able to go, I am typically walking a minimum of three quarters of a mile one way to get to where I'm hunting. And so even on those short 45 minute hunts, I might be walking a mile to hunt 45 minutes to walk a mile back to go back to work. And so I'm doing all that over and over. And man, the first part of the year, one, I didn't have any, I didn't have any deer to hunt in terms of age. Like I'm not, I I hunt mature deer. Um, I'm not just a deer hunter. Um, I, I guess, people call it a trophy hunter or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I just, I like targeting mature bucks. Um, nothing against anybody else who does whatever they want. I just, I like seeing the age, seeing what they can grow into, watching them grow. Um, and to me, it's the old bucks that are the challenge that I learn from. And that learning aspect is part of why I like hunting them, but it also is very frustrating. Um, cause earlier, earlier in this year, uh, in October, I didn't have a single deer that was older than three. Um, and I finally talked myself into shooting this three-year-old cause I didn't <laughs> hardly have any time to hunt. And I, there was a, Uh-oh. I want to see what he's going to turn in up. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah. Say that again. There was a time and then you cut out. I said, that, uh, I don't know what I was actually saying just then, but, um, anyway, so I was trying, I'd actually reached a point where I was trying to avoid that three and a half year old eight point. Kept following you around, huh? Huh? (laughs) Kept following you around, huh? Right. right. Well, he he was like the only consistent deer that I had. And wherever I would move a camera, he kept popping up. And I was like, he's a good enough deer to where if he walks out in front of me and I'm sitting here with a longbow, and I know I don't have much time to hunt. I'm probably putting an arrow through this thing and just calling it as, you know, as it is what it is. <laughs> but at the same time, I wanted to see what he was going to turn into. So if he showed up on a camera, I'd go hunt somewhere else. So I wouldn't even like tempt myself with shooting him. And, uh, and then 
finally, uh, it was towards the end of October. Um, I think it was towards the end of October. I had, uh, this buck show up that I was hunting. I actually hunted, hunted him last year as a big six point. And he showed up on a Saturday evening and I killed him the following Thursday. Uh, I hadn't seen pictures of him. Hadn't seen him all year long. He showed up in a spot. It was a draw where I had, you know, there was a collection of different types of oak trees that were dropping acorns and he showed up at that spot and as soon as he did i was like okay because that's about the time of year he showed up last year and i kind of figured okay well he'll probably fall back into that same routine that he had last year and so i didn't actually hunt um i'm not sure i hunted at all between the time i got pictures of him until the time i killed him on that uh, following thursday morning but i didn't get another picture of him at all actually where i went in and killed him i didn't get a single deer picture for three days leading up to that hunt but when i woke up that morning i was like you know trying to figure out okay where do i need to be he was the buck i was wanting uh because he was the oldest buck i had and just I was kind of running through everything that he did last year and based on everything he did last year, my gut told me to go into this area and, and hunt. And sure enough, like seven fifty in the morning, he comes strolling out, uh, just slipping along the edge of this bottom and gave me a 25 yard shot. And, uh, man, it, it was all, he's a big seven point this year that, uh, and he scored like 130 and six eighths as a seven point, which nice. is ridiculous. Um, just an old five and a half year old buck, but it was it was kind of it was cool and frustrating at the same time because I didn't have a single mature buck on camera. He showed up on Saturday. I killed him within a week. Like I killed him four days later, and then I was like, all right, well now I'm back to no deer. Yeah, and uh, and so from that was, like I said, I think it was the end of October. And so from then, um, all, I, I just kept trying to find deer and I, I couldn't get on any mature bucks there. Uh, even the, the only quote unquote quality deer I had were young deer, like two and a half year old bucks that were really pretty. I had a few really nice three year olds that were really pretty, but the old deer just weren't having it um one i couldn't find them um and then the, the couple that i did find man they were like just big six points or just something was messed up with them and uh and they were so inconsistent um have you considered the fact that you've killed them all <laughs> no <laughs> no it's just a it was an odd year man um like i, I don't i don't know what to do I, I mean i had some cool experiences um i walked up on a a stud buck like two weeks after I killed that deer, I was going in to check a camera and I walked up like a dummy. Like I, I always bring my bow with me. And for whatever reason, I was in a rush and I didn't bring my bow with me. And I walk up on this, this buck just material that just jumps up out of some, uh, some briars right in front of me, like 25 yards away and takes off running. And, uh, and he stops like 50 yards out. And it was like a, like a big mature i mean he was a cull just a ugly ugly deer but definitely mature and uh i mean he was cool looking but he just stood there 50 yards away and i was like what are you doing and he turns and kind of starts walking back towards me and i'm standing there in blue jeans and like i don't know like a green jacket or something and i catch movement to my right and i look over and there's this doe stands up he, he had her on lockdown like they were locked up in that 
and it was a it was a patch of brush that's like i don't know 20 foot by 20 foot if that and maybe knee high and they were just laying up in it in the middle of this big bottom and uh and she stood up like 25 yards from me and just kind of looks around like what's wrong with him and she just like she starts walking off and here he comes walking right back up to her and i'm just standing there in the bald open like you've got to be kidding me and he walks up and gets to like i don't know 35 40 yards and i'm pulling my i was on the phone with my brother and i said hey let me call you back i'm fixing i gotta film this and so i'm filming this buck walking up and uh and he catch he looks over and was like oh there's that guy's still standing there and he turns and takes off running and uh i go in check my camera and when i come back he'd come back in there with her and they just you know went on about their way uh but it was just so i had i had like really odd experiences like that i walked up on multiple shooter bucks when i was leaving the woods or walking into the woods like i i kept walking up on them and um i did that probably five different times this year Mm -hmm. just walking up on deer that i i either had pictures of or i'd never seen before and what was odd about it is it was almost always a deer that i would shoot had I been sitting in a tree and they came by me, like I kept walking up on mature bucks, but was not getting pictures of them on my camera. Um, hmm. And and then it, uh, the other weird thing about this year is I, I never could kill a doe. Like I, I was just trying to kill, kill a doe or a mature buck. And I passed one doe in October uh, because of, she she came in and she was in an area where I was like, I am not about to go through the trouble to get this doe out of here yep. uh, because of where I was. So I passed her and I think, and I'm probably going to regret this, but I'm like, no, nah, it's early enough in the year. I'll have more opportunities. And now I hadn't, I, the only, up until this past weekend, I killed a doe on Saturday. Um, up until that doe, uh, or up, I guess up until this past week, I had, I've seen around 60 deer, a little over 60 deer all year. Um, I think l- leading up to this past weekend, I'd seen like 63 deer total of those 63 deer I had, and this is while I'm hunting. I don't count deer that I run into when I'm walking around. It's just like while I'm on the stand hunting, uh, those are the ones I log. Um, and so I'd seen around 63 deer total, uh, of those 63, I had seen three bucks, that were four years old or older and I killed all three of the bucks that were four years old or older, but I had not had a chance at any of the does. Like there had not been a single doe that gave me an opportunity, really? but, but all the, all the bucks that I wanted to kill, I managed to be in a position to kill them when I saw them, but <laughs> never once got an opportunity at a doe. Interesting. Uh, but it's also like a lot of that's because I'm not, I'm not doe hunting per se. Uh, I'm I'm buck hunting, so I'm hunting in buck spots and trying to be in position where when I see bucks, I could kill them. Uh, And the does are just like a bonus if I get an opportunity at a doe. But normally you get out of 60-something deer, I'm going to have, you know, a doe come stumbling through and give me an opportunity. But that just, that wasn't even happening this year. Hmm. So how many many deer have you killed in total this year? Um, This past doe i killed makes four so i've killed i filled all my buck tags i've killed three bucks and one doe um so i didn't i didn't have an opportunity i killed that buck early on didn't have an opportunity at anything else um january i'm sorry december 30th two days before new year's 
I had a, I went into a spot as a, just a super, super thin, uh, went down on a cypress swamp, just real thick, nasty stuff. And I, I walked until I found a, you know, bunch of fresh tracks and just kept walking until I got in, um, and found some crisscross trails and there was actually, there was zero rut activity. I mean, that late in the year, no rut activity, um, or not down in that area anyway. And, uh, just a bunch of tracks. And when I got down in there, I found an intersection of trails with a, just a single scrape that had been hit recent. And so I was like, well, this is a good enough spot. And I, you know, climbed up in a cypress tree and I had a buck come through never seen the deer before. Like I said, I just went in, uh, kind of blind and, uh, never, <laughs> I'd been in the tree 20 minutes and this deer comes strolling by and I shot him. And, uh, he's a four and a half year old, eight point, one of the goofiest looking deer you've ever seen. I mean, his, his beams were like 12 inches long, uh, but just crazy mass. And, uh, being a taxidermist, that's kind of funny. I looked over, I'd heard just, you can't hear anything in that in in cypress straw like that cypress yeah, stuff. Yeah. It's like, like wash, it's walking on a sponge. Silent. Yeah. Huh? It's like walking on a sponge. Yeah. Like there's no noise. And so like I was I was playing on my phone. I, I was texting my brother and dad or whatever that morning, and I thought I heard a little tick uh, to my left, and I didn't look. And I was something told me you need to look because there's just I mean it's silent. It's like a sound vacuum down on that stuff. And uh, well, I heard it like immediately following. And I was like, all right, look. And I glanced over and I see this ginormous body standing there like 25, 30 yards away, but its head's behind a cypress tree. And I was like, oh, good gosh. So I grabbed my bow and flip my camera on and get it in position. And when the deer walks out, I was like, what in the world? Like, there's <laughs> just this small frame, like the, the rack at a glance. You're like, that's not even a two-year-old buck. But I'm looking and I'm like, and I, I, I glance at and this is all happening really fast, but I look at the rack and I look at the body and I'm like, that's a huge body. And I look back at the rack and I'm like, that's a little rack. And I look back at the body and I was like, what is it? And it was just back and forth. And I was like, that rack has a ton of mass. Like he was palmated on the side that was close to me. He had little bitty short tines and he's steadily walking the whole time. And, uh, and I glanced back and it's being a taxidermist. I look at things differently, but I, I looked I looked at his neck and I said, that's a 23 inch neck. That's a mature buck. Like you don't, you will not find a 23 inch neck on a young deer. And, uh, and I work with enough deer, um, to where I can, I can pretty much peg a a deer's neck, the neck size. And I looked at, I was like, that's a 23 inch neck. And so as soon as he walked into the, I mean, he was just steadily walking and I'm scrambling, fiddling with my camera. And, uh, and from the time I saw him to the time I put an arrow through him was about 20 seconds. And I saw all this like back and forth decision was like rapid fire. And, uh, and when I shot, he crashes off and I text my dad and brother immediately. I said, I think I just screwed up. Like, I, I, or I hope, I, I hope I didn't just screw up. And they're like, what are you talking about? I said, I just shot a really big body deer with a really small rack. And I really hope I didn't shoot a young deer <laughs> with a big body. And, uh, and they're like, well, if you felt he was good enough to shoot, he was probably, you know, at the very least, a, he needed to go. Well, sure enough, I mean, the deer deer was four and a half, weighed 198 pounds, and wouldn't you know it, he had a 23-inch neck. <laughs> nice, nice. Good call. But, uh, yeah, and, nice. uh, but that was, you know, the week of New Year's. And then after that, I'd had one buck tag left, and I was honestly mainly just trying – trying to kill a doe that's honestly why i went into that brush trying to kill a doe and um so 
a couple of weeks, I guess about two weeks ago, I'd put up a camera. Um, so, um, I'd, I'd pulled some Smilax out of the tree. Um, the stuff that we talked about, uh, one of the last times I was on the podcast, Mm -hmm. um, or Laurel Greenbrier, whatever, whatever family name you want to call it. Um, anyway, I'd pulled it down, uh, right around new year's and, uh, gave it a couple of weeks and went out and looked, it was probably two weeks. I went out and looked at it and, uh, there wasn't hardly any browsing or anything on there. And I'd, I'd had a camera that I went in to actually check and I forgot my memory cards. Uh, so I was like, well, I'll just leave it out another week and come back and either, you know, if it hasn't been hit, then I'll just pull the whole camera out and be done with this area. Well, when I went back in with my memory cards, there was almost nothing but vines left. And I was like, okay, well the deer are on it. When I checked the camera, I had a nice nine point, uh, like four does and a couple of young bucks. And there was a, a much older deer, um, that had been in there. And he was, I mean, he was an old buck, but he's just a, another big old seven point. Um, but the nine point was the one I was interested in just because he was the one showing up in daylight. So I like hunting high odds, consistent deer, even though the sure. other deer was bigger. And, um, so, he was running around. So that's the kind of the area I started focusing on. Uh, and I was like, well, I'm just going to throw all my eggs in this basket for the remainder of the year. So that was the deer I'd been hunting. Um, I had, I hunted that area a couple of times. I had some, uh, young bucks come through, uh, some does at a distance. Nothing was, um, I, I would have shot the does, but they weren't even coming in close in range. Typical for what my season has been like with does. Um, and then one, um, this past Tuesday, um, I'm sorry, this past Monday, um, I'd found some tracks going into a thicket, uh, probably within three, 400 yards from where I had the Smilax. Mm-hmm. And so I carried two cameras with me into this thicket. And, um, and when I started following these tracks, they kind of tapered all, all came down into a, There were two trails that went through that thicket. Um, and so I put a camera on each one and backed out the next morning, Tuesday morning, I went in and when I checked those cards, I picked up two new bucks that were not on the Smilax. It was a two year old, eight point and a year and a half old, like five point or something. And, uh, oh, I had somewhere to be, uh, Tuesday evening. So I didn't want to hike down into, uh, quite as far into the brush as where the Smilax was. And the, where the thicket was, it was actually easier access for me. Um, so since I knew I was going to have to get down a little early and I didn't want to disturb as much woods kind of close to prime time, I went into that thicket Tuesday evening and right at dark, I say right at dark, it's probably 30, 40 minutes before dark, um, I heard a deer coming and I'm hanging in that saddle. And, uh, I, you know, I, I went in, picked a tree with some cover where I felt like I'd be okay. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm in the saddle and I hear a deer coming and this doe, uh, starts making her way to me. And I, and I was like, sweet, you know, like I'm, I'm fixing to be able to kill one of these does. And, uh, so she's coming, coming in and when she gets to like 25, 30 yards, uh, I heard another deer coming and there's been a group of four does uh, hanging out together. So I was like, okay, well, this is just probably that group of does. Well, when she's at like 25, 30 yards, I hear back in the brush. And I was like, Whoa, that's not a doe. And, uh, and I could see another like big body deer moving and it grunts again and grunts again. Well, the doe steadily coming. 
and uh and i'm i had to swing out because uh, with the saddle you're facing the tree and she was over my left shoulder like almost behind me so i swing out to like our swing around to get myself in position to shoot and when i swing around uh my prussic knot that you hang by on the tether and i guess i'll explain that in a little bit but my my prussic knot starts sliding down my tether like very very slow which is not supposed to happen and uh and so it's and i'll explain why that happens in a minute but it slowly starts sliding like just like creeping but i can feel myself falling like i can feel myself sliding down the rope and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like this doe's 20 yards away. I had no way to like, I could not position, like reposition myself to keep myself from sliding because there was no cover and the deer were coming right in on top of me. Like I was already right in the middle of them and I couldn't move. Well, she gets to like 15 yards and it's just, it's brush where she's at and I can't shoot. Well, she squats and pees. And when she squats, the deer behind her grunts and bounds. When he bounds out, I look up and I see a rack, but it was low enough light and through the brush that for whatever reason, when I saw it, I thought it was the year and a half old buck that I'd gotten pictures of uh, that morning on camera. And so I was like, year and a half old buck. I ignored him, focused all my attention on this doe because, again, I'm steadily sliding down this rope. And I'm like, I've got to make something happen like now, uh, because if this thing just happens to give way and I and it slips, I'm going to be hanging upside down by the rope. Yeah. And it's just not a good feeling knowing that you're falling with deer underneath you and you're trying not to spook the deer. Well, this doe comes by and she's she's walking at like seven yards and I lean, lean out. And by this point I am almost sticking straight off of the tree. Like I feel like I'm <laughs> laying down. And, uh, so I'm shooting, almost laying down, shooting down below me and I'm steadily sliding. Well, that just feeling that downward motion when I shoot, I don't know. It was, a, it was probably one of the most distracting things I've ever had happen or i've had happen in a really long time and man i shot smooth underneath that deck. like my feathers actually slapped her in the armpit mm. and uh and she kicked out i mean she did the donkey kick and like if it had been really low light and me, i would have thought i smoked her, I like, you, heart smoked shot, her you know yeah because yeah, she kicked out hard and I, I mean i knew immediately i missed i saw where my arrow went i mean seven yards perfectly clear nothing between me and her well, she wheels and runs out in front of my tree like 40 yards and stops and stands there like no snort, no nothing. She just runs out like, what in the world was that? And uh, and she's just standing there. Well, when that happens, I hear a grunt and all this crash and I glance over and I'm I'm steadily like I'm in the middle of knocking another arrow um, like I'm, I'm laying down and I, and I knock another arrow or in, in the process and I look over and when the book comes out of the brush i was like oh good grief that is not a year and a half old deer it was the nine point that i'd been hunting 300 yards away or so at the smilax spot and uh and he he just happened to be chasing the doe through the brush that i just happened to pick and he he comes running through and i grunted at him and he stopped at like 25 yards and he's he's through a, a wall of brush and i'm like man if i was standing up in my normal position had i not slipped 13 inches down this rope i'd be able to shoot him where he's standing right now and uh because where i'm like laying down behind the brush and uh and i'm laying there and i'm like all right and i get to looking in front of him and there's a gap through the saplings like five inches wide or so like a little bitty gap i was like if i can manage to stop him in that one little hole 
I'm going to, I'm going to send an arrow. And, uh, and he takes off. I mean, he's steadily focused on the doe. She's still standing there and he grunts a few times Well, he takes off walking. I grunt again. And sure enough, I mean, he stopped just perfect. And so I lay down or I'm laid down and I just kind of settle back and focus and shoot, man, the arrow sinks in right. Perfect. And he goes maybe 80 yards and piles up and I'm sitting there like, how in the world did I just miss a doe in the clear open at seven yards and then weave an arrow through those trees at 25 yards and kill that buck. But, um, yeah, that was just a, that was a pretty, it was a really cool hunt. And honestly, I've never had an opportunity like that to be able to shoot at the doe that was being chased by the buck and then have an opportunity to shoot at the buck that was chasing the doe that I just shot at. Like that was just a, a really cool experience. That's cool. Man. <laughs> Very cool. Um, so, I mean, you've had a hell of a season this year. Once again, <laughs> once again, yeah, I've been blessed, man. It's crushing been, it. It's been awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, he's still doing it with a long bow and, um, you still shooting, um, the Craig archery, was it the Falcon? Is that what it's about? Yeah. yeah that's cool. Yeah. It's a, it's the same, same one I, I hunted with all last year and, uh, man, I'm loving it. I've, it's, it's been absolutely awesome. Like I'm getting awesome results. I mean, it's only 48 pounds and I'm shooting, you know, 25 plus yards frequently getting great penetration. The first two bucks I got complete pass throughs. This the third buck, uh, I didn't get a pass through cause it lodged in the offside shoulder. Um, and then the, the doe I killed uh, on Saturday, I didn't get a pass through because it lodged in the offside shoulder, but broke ribs going in and out. And, uh, you know, I, you just, I have no complaints with it. It's just been a, a really great shooting bow. That's awesome. Now that for anybody listening, that's, um, that's made by Craig archery out of Pineville, Louisiana. Um, Pat Craig, his son, Sean Craig, and then Sean's son, Sean Jr. Um, yeah. they all make, uh, they all make these custom made longbows, um, uh, to your specs. I mean, um, I, I need to do a podcast with them. Um, I, I'm, I'm afraid to, cause it would probably end up being four hours long with how Mr. Pat <laughs> is. And, and yeah, I mean, Tom, no doubt. When you, they're great people. When you visit their shop and you go there, um, it's like, um, it's one of the few places that on the planet that's, that I will admit is it's difficult to leave. It's hard to, right. it's hard to want to go home, um, or, or go anywhere else. It's, um, it's, it's just a time where time, this is a place where time stands still. And, uh, it's kind of like you get there at lunchtime you're like, Oh, it's five 30. I, I gotta go home. You know? Right. Exactly. So, um, but, uh, they're, they're salt of the earth people. They make an excellent product. So if you've been interested in getting into, um, traditional archery, um, they have very affordable bows and they're made to your custom specs. Like you pick out the wood, you have the handle made to fit your hand. You, you know, you get to shoot a bunch of them and tell them what kind of draw weight you want beforehand. It's, it's a really unique experience. So I definitely suggest checking them out. Um, Absolutely. Well, um, look, uh, let's get on to, to this week's topic. We're going to talk about saddles. Um, but before we do that, we need to, um, we need to give a shout out to our sponsor. Um, Locke, you want to tell them about Relentless yeah. Birds? So Relentless Boats continues to support the podcast, and big shout-out and thank you to them for their support throughout this season. And uh, some big news coming down from Relentless here uh, recently is uh, they've 
gotten a larger facility, going to be moving into a bigger facility to really kind of keep up with the growth of the company. So for any of you that have reached out and, and gotten a quote and looked into their boats, you know, big thank you to them. And if you're looking for a custom aluminum rig, um, you know, they make a fine product, whatever you want, rigged up however you want, anything from a basic hull to every possible accessory you can imagine surface drive outboard whatever you want commercial grade hulls and right here in uh, Thibodeau Louisiana so check them out at relentlessboatsla.com cool well um so let's let's talk about saddles here um uh, this is something that is um becoming increasingly more popular um i think we should talk a little bit about that also and kind of how that happens um in in um not just the hunting industry but in general like why, why do things show up out of nowhere and and everybody gets on board with them um and um and i'd like to learn um uh, and and our listeners learn about the process um what's all required what you have um you know how you got into it why, why did you start hunting out of a saddle why, ultimately why does it fit your style of hunting and if it will fit fit other people's styles of hunting. Um, so first off, you know, tell us what are you hunting out of? I am uh, currently. I say currently. I'm I'm hunting out of the Arrow Hunter Kestrel. Mm-hmm. Um, the the company is Arrow Hunter. Uh, it's the Kestrel saddle. And honestly, when I bought the saddle, it was one of the only saddles on the market. Like tethered was not even a thing. Um, they 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 seem to like show up out of nowhere, and now they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and they showed up like the year after I I bought the saddle and and hunted out of it uh, for the first time. Uh, next thing I know, it was tethered, and then. Uh, there was all these different saddle options. Um, and when I, when I bought the Kestrel, it was the Kestrel and there was one other older brand. There was a, a Guido's web. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another older, um, I can't think of the name of it. Um, uh, it might've just been called tree saddle, uh, which that company was out. What's funny is back in the nineties, I think, um, like late 90s right around 2000 at one of the hunters expos up here in Shreveport there was a uh I think it was the the tree saddle company that was what it was called it was just the tree saddle and um and they had a book here at the expo and when I saw it I was like and I I I don't remember how old I was but I was a and I was like this is a genius idea like that's awesome like I, I i really liked it but at the same time it didn't make sense for wh- how i was hunting and uh and then it just kind of disappeared and you never heard about it hardly ever yeah and uh well then for i forget how i heard about it again it was like i heard about it in passing um and i was like you know what i remember that that was a that was a really good idea and by that time I, my hunting style had totally changed obviously um from you know, a 17, 18 year old to, um, you know, now. And, uh, I was, I was started doing some looking and, uh, and I was always on the fence. I was on the fence for a couple of years actually, um, about whether or not to buy it because I'm like, man, that's a lot of money to drop on or you know, some rope and some fabric material and some carabiners. Yeah. Like, 
that's a chunk of money. And, uh, and I, at the time I just couldn't justify it, especially, and honestly, my biggest hangup was the fact that I hunt with a traditional bow. If I hunted with a compound, I would have pulled the trigger on it a long time ago. Um, but you know, shooting a minimum 60 inch bow and then having to maneuver it around the tether that you hang by, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was a, it was a hiccup, uh, for me. And I started doing some research, you know, digging on YouTube. There's a saddle hunter hunter forum. And I'd ask questions like, has anybody, is anybody successful out of these with the longbow or recurve? And, uh, and I could see people were, um, but nobody was able to film themselves hunting. Nobody was able to really give much information about it. And it was all like the people that were successful that were using them were people hunting out of them with a rifle or with a compound. Um, and so I was just like, I finally just said, you know what? Um, the way I was looking at it is like, if, if I'll, I'll go ahead and buy it and it's starting to be popular. And if I wind up not liking it, I'll be able to resell it pretty stinking easy. Um, because you couldn't find any on eBay, you couldn't find any used or anything like that. Um, it was just like brand new or nothing because all the other ones were being bought up. And, uh, so I went ahead and bought one brand new from, uh, arrow hunter and it was one of it, it definitely changed how I hunt. Um, and I'm saying, uh, let me take that back. It did not change how I hunt, but it, it made me more efficient at how I was already hunting. Like I, I got several years back, I turned, uh, I guess around two, honestly, about the same time I picked up a trad bow around 2011, I started becoming more and more mobile where I'm constantly moving, constantly changing, um, trees for whatever reason, you know, uh, this year I've been in, uh, if I remember right so far, I've hunted in 40 different trees or 41 different trees, something like that. And, um, and so I'm, I move, I move around a lot and it would be more than that if it wasn't for the situations where I find a good feed tree and I like hunt the same tree over and over for, you know, a week or so. Um, anyway, so my thinking on it was I was not familiar with it. So I wasn't, and you get on the saddle hunter website and everybody's a DIY guy. Let me build my own. And they start throwing out terms like the sit drag and, you know, you get the rock climbing harness and then you do this thing here and you do this. And I was like, okay, I'm not a rock climber. Um, I was in the fire department, volunteer fire department for a while. Like I've done, I've repelled off of towers. Um, Like I've, I I have rock climbed, uh, you know, and then you do, you, you jump off the top of the deal and basically you repel back down after you climb up. Like yeah. I've done that stuff, but I'm not about to trust something that I made, like trust my life to something that I just wrapped together and I'm hanging 20 foot up a tree all season long. So my thought on it was I'm going to just spend the money and buy the kit and trust what this company that, you know, they've obviously had to go through all the insurance purposes, um, they know what they're doing basically they they they're the experts and I'm not um so what I did is I bought like tether hunter not tether um arrow hunter has a kit and I I think tether does too or basically you can buy everything uh, yeah. everything that you would possibly need um so you you could buy your your saddle you buy your tether um you buy a lineman's belt um you know and that comes with your carabiners and um you know things things basically everything that you need other than how you climb. Um, as far as the actual saddle itself, it comes with everything. Um, and that's what I did. I bought, I bought a kit 
and um man when i started hunting with it i would like i said i was already mobile um i was using one of those real like a lightweight muddy with the pro muddy pro light sticks and um you know i'd put up my tree my stand take down my stand every time i hunted uh you know i hiking in several miles up and down up and down um so it did not change how i hunted it just made how i hunted easier um if you're the type of guy who you're hunting private and you only have you're not moving around a lot or you're sitting on a corn feeder or you're sitting on a food plot um where you're not moving it's completely not worth buying a saddle um yeah yep like that's just silly um i mean granted it is super comfortable and honestly it's the only tree stand that i've ever been like yeah i think i'm gonna take a nap i'm tired and i'll just lay over and go to sleep um <laughs> like with no no worry whatsoever like i will literally lay my head down on top of my tether um and go to and take a nap and not feel at all unsafe um i'm not about to do that out of a tree stand um so in that regard uh it's awesome i also like it better for long term um long long sits uh because even when I, I absolutely despise being caught off guard uh, when I'm hunting. Like I'm, I'm always, I try to always be on point. And so, I, I out of a five-hour hunt, I'm standing for like four hours and forty-five minutes. Like I, I, I all but refuse to sit down on a on a hunt. Yeah. Um. Even even in a lock-on. Um, I've started. I've started I'm, doing that also. Um. It helps me stay awake and it helps me like, I feel more engaged in the hunt. You know? Yeah. It keeps you alert. And, uh, and you're, and if something does like sneak up on you, especially hunting with a trad bow, cause you can't easily, unless it's in a specific spot, you cannot shoot down from an elevated position with a 60 inch bow because you have limb clearance issues. Um, like I said, unless it's in a specific situation for you, like I, I, I struggle, uh, being able to shoot, you know, at a downward angle, uh, from while I'm sitting down. So that's another reason why I stand up. Um, so the saddle kind of allows me to stay in a somewhat standing position. Even when I do decide to like, quote unquote, sit down, uh, where my knees are rested against the tree trunk, I'm still, there's very, very minimal movement, um, for me to be able to like fully extend and stand up to shoot. And, there's also no, there's, if I can shoot from that sitting slash kneeling position because there's nothing in the way, there's nothing to get in the way of my limbs. Yeah. Um, in fact, the first two deer I killed this year, and honestly, most of the deer I kill, I, I've killed from the saddle. I've killed from, you know, with, with a knee, at least one knee on the tree trunk, uh, you know, rather yeah, for, than me being like stood up all the way. You're doing that, like bracing yourself. One more time. I'm sorry. Is that for stability? Like you're bracing yourself? Yeah, partially. Uh, because you are hanging by a rope. Uh, you know, you can sit, especially if it's a tree that's slightly leaning. Um, the bit, the beauty of it is you can get in any tree. Like I've hunted in trees that were, you know, not even as big around as my knee, like, you know, four inches. Under, I've hunted them in that small of a tree. I've hunted in crooked trees. Uh, but the problem is depending on how straight or not straight the tree is or the, you know, however it grows, a lot of times you'll, you know, gravity, gravity works against you sometimes. And, uh, and you'll want to just keep on swinging and you'll lose your balance. I've lost my balance before. Luckily there wasn't a deer around and just like 
you know, I lost my balance and it just kicked out and my, I like swung around the tree and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I have to, <laughs> I have to like climb, or, climb around the tree and get back in on my, on my sticks. Uh, and you're just like hanging there by a rope. But, um, so yeah, for, for like, especially for a hunting situation, or I'm sorry, sorry shooting a deer. Um, I, I do like to have like a solid anchor point. If I'm, if I'm standing fully extended, I'm pretty solid because I have both of my feet locked uh, or my knees locked and I'm able to shoot. But if I'm like in that half sitting position, I like to have at least one knee on the tree to keep me, to make sure that I'm not swinging. uh, If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, so as far as uh, like top line pros of the saddles, um, weight is an advantage right absolutely um, yeah because so, you you wear it into the woods so it and, and not only are you wearing it walking in there is no uh safety harness you know you, right. you're it is a safety harness it's, it's uh it's it's um, all one self-contained unit um so weight is one um i think setup time is another good one you, would you agree that it's faster to set up than a regular lock-on and, and stick system yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it is. A lot of it, you know, just depends on how efficient you are with the system that you're comfortable with, um, and that's that's a big part of it is bidding, getting, having a system. You do it the exact same way every single time. Um, it's safer when you're doing it that way. Sure. Um, you know, where you're not mixing it all up. Like, figure out a system that is efficient and do it the same way every time. And, um, and I mean, because when I'm, when I'm like hooking on and like I tie my tether off or wrap my tether around the tree and I go to clip in before I put my weight on that rope, I'm double and triple checking everything. I'm like, all right, the, the, I'm fully clipped in. This is fully clipped in and this is fully clipped in. Yeah. Uh, and the carabiners are the ones at the safety locks where they'll, you have to twist them. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. B- before you, you can punch it down. And what it's freaked me out is when I, when I like clip myself in the safety gets hung up. And it doesn't spin around and I don't realize it. Well, I mean, it's, it's locked and shut, but like I'll move five minutes later and that safety will like click really loud. Like it'll, it'll like fully oh. lock into place. Oh my God. It scares the mess out of me every time it does that. Because <laughs> so. So I'm like, I'm about to fall. What other, what other pros are there um, to other than the two we just named? Man, it's, the mobility of it, um, in terms of I can walk in, it's a lot easier to change trees. Like if I go in, um, and I go to climb a tree and set up, um, and the wind, the wind is wrong, um, or, or the wind shifts, uh, in the middle of the hunt, uh, I can climb right down the tree and go climb right back up another tree. And I mean, all you're doing is carrying up a rope. Um, you're not having to carry up a stand and you're not strapping it down and all like, it's just way easier to move, uh, if the wind shifts on you. Um, or I'm, I am somebody who, uh, you fool me once. Okay. Well, you're not going to fool me twice in, in terms of deer hunting. Uh, so if a deer, if I'm hunting a spot and a deer comes by and he's just at a range and I get to looking from my position and I'm like, that's the better trail. And I look over and I'm like, that's the better tree. Uh, I don't care if it's only an hour and a half or so into the hunt or 30 minutes into the hunt. If I have a deer get by me, he's not going to get by me again on the same trail. I'll come down right then and go move. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I I just, 
that's just how I, like, I don't, I'm a quick learner when it comes to, to stuff like that. Um, so that's, that's a benefit is moving quickly. Um, I, I feel like it really opens up your shot opportunities. Um, so you have more of a spectrum or uh, a wider range or field. I don't know how to describe it, but you have a wider range, uh, to shoot around your tree. Um, whereas with the lock on, you know, you can, to shoot behind you, you have to like really lean out away from the tree and it's, or the, the trunks in the way or your, your seats in the way or something like that. And with the saddle, typically you have very, very little, uh, blind spots, um, you know, that you'd be able to shoot from. So I feel like it opens up your shot opportunities. I do think and highly recommend if somebody's decided to get into it, you need to get a platform. Um, I I hunt frequently without the platform. Like if I'm running late and I don't want to take the time to put my platform up, um, I'll just stand on top of the sticks. In fact, the, the nine point that I described a minute ago, that was chasing the doe. Mm -hmm. Um, I was just standing on top of the sticks and I didn't actually have a platform. I just was standing on my climbing sticks. Um, in fact, that's how I hunted the entire first year. The benefit of the platform is you have something solid to plant your feet on so you can shift your weight a lot easier uh, to like bend, get around the tether, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you only have some pe- like pegs to put your feet on, you don't have the ability to take all of the weight off of the tether, put it all on your platform, shift your weight you just have better shot opportunity. It opens up more opportunities. Um, uh, and that was another one of those things where I was like, Oh, I don't need the platform. Well, at the end of the very first year I hunted, I had a four and a half year old buck get by me. I mean, he, I had him at 12 yards and I could not move to shoot because of other does, uh, that were there. And had I had something where I could plant my weight and shift in my saddle, like just kind of slide my body inside my saddle, I would have been able to shoot the deer. Well, from then on, I had a platform. I, like after that deer got by me, I, when I when I came back in and hunted that same spot, I actually brought my muddy st- climbing or my muddy uh, lock on, and I hung my lock on, and I was hunting using my regular lock on as the platform, but I was hanging there by the by the saddle. Uh, so, and it was just so I could have a platform. I've, what what I've platform do you platform. have? Um, I, I bought the, uh, the tethered, uh, predator platform. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and it's real lightweight, small, easy to hang. Like I, I like it a lot now. Okay. What do you think the cons of this are of saddle hunting? Man, it's, it's one it's, (laughs) so it's not for everybody. Um, body types have a lot to do with it. If you're a bigger guy, um, it's not going to be as comfortable. Uh, you won't have the mobility, um, or you, you potentially won't have the mobility to, to move around in it as easy. Um, my brother has a saddle, but he's, he's, uh, he's got, I mean, he's not a big guy. He's just built bigger than what I am. He's got a big chest. And, uh, and so he has to get his tether and everything set up. Like the situation has to be set up just right. Um, or you have a tendency to almost feel like you're falling backwards. Um, and so he, there's a, there's actually a back rest that a lot of the saddles will have, um, or that you can, you can have, uh, as an addition. And, uh, he has one and that works, works good for him, but you know, he's, he's killed deer out of his saddle this year, but, um, he's all, he doesn't hunt out of the saddle unless it's, 
he uses it almost like a scouting scenario. So he'll go into a new spot, hunt the sa- hunt with a saddle, and if it decides, hey, I like the spot, I'm going to be hunting here more, he'll take in a lock-on because he prefers to sit in a lock-on and hunt. A- he likes the comfort comfort of a lock-on more, yeah. um, and that's what he's used to. So uh, it's not for everybody. Uh, there's And another thing, especially for trad guys, um, it really, it'll mess up your focus sometimes. Um, I, I know guys, they're good hunters, they're good shots, but when they start, try to shoot out of a saddle, they, they couldn't never get accurate. They were all over the place yeah. and, uh, and it just, it messed with them. Um, so in that regard, it's not worth it. You know, if you're not going to shoot accurate, then you don't need to be hunting out of it. Um, the other thing is, like I said, if you're hunting over a corn feeder, um, or you have, you know, like you're the lease you're on they give you 100 acres and you're not really able to move a lot well if you're not moving a lot what's the point of hunting out of a saddle like the the whole purpose of the saddle is designed for being a mobile you know fast up and down lightweight let me move change adapt that type of hunting scenario and if that's not your typical style of hunting then you don't need to buy a saddle i mean it's just not I mean, unless you just want to play around with it, it's just not, that's not what they're really designed for in my opinion. Um, yeah. You know, and there's some scenarios where I'd, I'd rather be, you know, like the doe I killed this past weekend. Uh, I was in a lock on, um, because I was hunting the side of a pipeline. Uh, it was a lock on that my dad already had established on an old trail. And so I was hunting out of my dad's lock on and I enjoyed it as much as I did anything. So, I mean, the whole point of it is, it is not the fix all. It's just a great tool to throw into your toolbox, you know, your, uh, of, of things to use. Um, you know, just like a lock on is not the best thing for everything, you know, best s- setup for everything. You know, sometimes a ground blinds better. Um, so it just, bow hunting is all about being adaptive and being adaptive to the habitat, to the animal, to, you know, everything around you and if the saddle is going to make it easier for me to adapt to kill the deer that i'm trying to kill then i'm going to use it but if where i'm at i need to use a a ground blind or a ghost blind or a tree stand then that's what i'm going to use i'm not dead set on the lot on the uh on the saddle by any means it just fits my style Hey guys, just wanted to take a second to tell you about this year's Louisiana Bowhunter 3D Challenge. Save the date, it's going to be on March 14th in Pollock, Louisiana at the same place at Sinlaw Bow Benders, which is just north of Pineville. And we're going to be putting out a lot more information about this at the end of the week of as far as classes, prize money, vendors, sponsors, you name it. Uh, so be looking for a lot more information. But for now... Save the date, March 14th. Definitely want to be there. It's going to be a great event. Looking forward to seeing you all there. And secondly, we've got the Louisiana Bow League update for this week. We're going to give you the top five teams. Um, Fifth place, I'll stick that, 309 and three-quarter points. And a close fourth, stay stealthy at 311 and three-quarter. Only a two-point difference between those two. Third place, Crimson Trail, 344 and one-thirds. Second place, Stack and Racks, 355 and two-thirds. And in first place right now is Button Bobby at 393 and three-quarter points. Um, 
one buck can push this one way or the other, so we got a lot of movement that can happen in the last few weeks of the season, especially for Area 6 hunters and the people that have the dates that go all the way to February 15th. Y'all y'all technically have the advantage right now. So um, y'all stay tuned. We look forward to updating you more on the Louisiana Bow League. I, I'm a spectator, right? I, I don't I don't have a saddle. I don't hunt out of one, and I'll be the first to tell you that it's, it's not my thing. It's... Um, you know, I've said before on the podcast, you know, out of principle, when people run one direction, I typically back out and walk the other. Um, right. That's just not, I've never been, <clears throat> I've never been one that's been super impressed with what I consider to be like relatively short term fads or, or yep. group think type of stuff. Um, yep. And um, what's interesting uh, is there's a big correlation, I think, between um, the people that are proficient in hunting out of a saddle and they prove their proficiency and they prove their, um, they prove their, uh, their, or they support their decision to hunt out of a saddle by posting pictures of dead animals frequently. And, and then there's other people that are the mouthpieces, if you will, the ones that can't wait to tell you about it. They're the crossfitters of the saddle world. Oh, and, man. And they, They're like vegetarian hunters. Yeah. I mean, it's like <laughs> if, you're, if you're a pilot, a crossfitter, and a saddle hunter, like what do you tell people about first? You know, like which right. – it's got to be a struggle of which one, to come, which one comes out of your mouth first. And, um, and I, I mean, not to say – I'm by no means am I saying that um, – Saddle hunters don't kill anything. That's obviously not true. But the ones that are constantly telling you how great it is and and never backing it up with blood on their hands probably shouldn't be the ones you're listening to to buy a saddle. Like you should probably like just follow the Bayou Bow Hunter on Instagram <laughs> or Warren no. Womack or I mean even I mean Jonathan Morgan and and um and Ryan Saucier are two guys that have been hunting saddles and. I never hear him hear, never hear him say anything about it. But they kill dead deer. They post dead deer all the time, and every once yeah. in a while they'll post a picture of you know a first person view of their set, and you're like, oh, you're hunting out of a saddle. Thank you for not telling us about it and just <laughs> just hunting, you know. And so, um, you know, I also think, I, I, um, you know, I'll get into like my theories on why they're popular here in a minute. Um, but uh, as far as cons go. <clears throat> I've always looked at the extreme movements as a big con. As an experienced saddle hunter, is that an, has that been an issue for you? Have the larger movements for adjustment or the constant fidgeting, maybe? That that if okay, so that's a big that's a big topic in itself, um, and just just my my take on it. So that is that is technically an issue out of a lock-on or out of a saddle mm -hmm. the difference is if you don't know how to move correctly out of a lock-on you're not going to know how to move correctly out of a saddle so people like big movements like any any movement that i have to make I keep it all within the movement of like all within the silhouette of my body. Like mm -hmm. I'm not reaching out far. Um, like I, if I have to turn my head, I, I'll turn my head. Like I move a good bit, but the whole, the, the key to being successful is knowing when you can move and when you can't move. Like I will make very fast, sudden movements with an animal at, you know, sub 20 yards, but it's because I know where the, like I pay very, very close attention to the peripheral of that animal. 
uh, you know, of their, sure. I'm, I'm watching their eyeballs and, and, you know, I know when to move and when not to move. And if you don't know how to do that, um, then yeah, a saddle is going to really jack you up. So that's what part of the reason why I was talking about the platform situation opens up a lot of opportunity. So I've had oper- I've had situations where I've had up to 10, uh, the, the, video i posted a couple years ago or might have been last year i don't remember with the, the deer i killed in the snow um during that time i had like 10 10 does around me at one time and getting a shot off with that many eyeballs in january is difficult extremely difficult yeah and so yeah there's a lot of movement um there is a massive amount of uh, like if you go to get yourself in a position to shoot, you're like leaning out. And so there's a lot of core body, like your, your abs and all that yep. lower back that is involved. And if a deer catches you or you wind up getting stuck in a position where you think you're fixing to get the shot off and all of a sudden four more deer pour out of the brush and you're stuck and you can't get drawn, dude, it is it is excruciating. Like you, you talk, I mean, you talk about a, a mixture of CrossFit and hunting. I mean, you're sitting up there basically planking 20 foot up a tree. <laughs> and, and so like that from that aspect. Yeah. So, uh, the other, it's, it, you have to know how to move. So like the biggest issue is setting yourself up. Everybody I'll ask about what about shooting on your offside? You know? So if you're a, if you're a right-handed person, the majority of your shots, uh, you know, your, your wheelhouse is on your you know, straight off to your left shoulder up to almost, you know, your 11 o'clock really, that's kind of your wheelhouse there. Um, you know, nine o'clock to 11 o'clock, um, you know, roundabout. So if an animal shows up at two o'clock, what do you do? Well, if you have enough time to gauge that animal's movement and you think that animal's going to be walking in from two to three, you can go ahead and take your bow, get it over the tether or get it under the tether, shift your hips inside the saddle and, you know, bring all, you know, get everything on the top side of your saddle where you can actually shoot. And I've killed several animals on that side of my saddle shooting that way. Um, but if the animal gets up and you think you're fixing to get a shot and all of a sudden it changes its course and it's on your left side and you're like, well, snap, now I've got to manage to get my bow back on the other side of the tree on the other side of my saddle. So like, yeah, there's a, that's a, that can be a con in itself. But then again, you kind of have the same issues with your, your lock on, you know, if you're facing a tree, um, and the deer comes in from behind you and you're actually facing the tree trunk, standing up in your saddle on your lock on and the deer you think is coming to your right. So you spin and you're facing, getting ready for your, your shot on the right. Well, at the last minute, the deer spins and goes to the left. You've still got to shift everything and be able to shoot to the left. And, you know, you might not have the tether in the way, but still there's the movement involved. So the, 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 I think what throws like your situation or your thought process off is the advertisement that people show the marketing aspect of the saddle. Where like the like, ridiculous oh, shooting position. 60 degrees. Yeah. And you see this guy like swinging around the tree or walking around the tree the other way. And I'm like, there is no way like you would have to have a blind, deaf, dumb deer to allow you to shoot with you moving around that much. It's just not happening. Yeah. But they market it that way. Yeah. And people are like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. Well, it doesn't matter. You still have to know how to bow hunt. You still have to know how to move when an animal is close to you. So, so yeah, the, the movement's an issue, and it can be a severe issue if you don't know how to, you know, hunt in general. So I'm being – I haven't said a whole lot. I'm just kind of soaking all this up. But 
I'm going to make the Captain Obvious statement. Um, if you don't know how, if you if if you don't know how to bow hunt, then uh, you it, get a for the person, yeah. Let's well, let me let me read, let me back up. Well, guys, thanks for listening to this up. episode. That's uh, Locke just made the best <laughs> point of all. I, yeah. I didn't know. I, I I I blew right past my um my comment and went right to the. Punchline, so, yeah, to speak. Yeah. Um, so the captain obvious statement i'm making i guess i'm 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 leading into more more thoughts about it in general but to the person that's having trouble i think this is what the marketing lends itself to the the guy who's got ladder stands and lock-ons and he's hunted food plots and feed trees and corn and he's, he's just having a lot of trouble getting himself in position for a shot. I feel like the marketing of the saddle goes to, it makes you this extreme versatile hunter. That's going to improve your odds of getting a shot at a deer. And from my perspective, I, I understand what you're talking about with the movement, but just like, just think about like thinking about the very general idea. If I'm sitting in a lock on specifically talking about a lock on a, a smaller form lock on, I'm sitting against the tree or I'm standing against the tree. So if I'm at a, you know, if I'm at say four o'clock or eight o'clock, so I'm not looking at you straight on, but I'm not looking at you completely to the side. If I'm sitting in a lock on and I'm watching you approach me, you're looking at me or I'm standing and I'm against the tree. If you're in a saddle, you're sticking off of the tree. Even if you stand up and try to keep your silhouette within the within a larger trunk, you're 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 actually off the tree. And to your point, some of the things you know they are applicable. But in my experience, or my opinion, would be, and this obviously goes from the, the person that's not sat in a saddle. So I'm not trying to be a, a know-it-all, but um, I, I I can see where if I'm in a situation on lock-on where I'm in tits, let's just take a, a for instance here a buck's chasing a doe and and i'm a right-handed shooter and that buck's chasing that doe and he's gonna pass me in that nine to eleven let on my left side perfect but you know one thing happens the next thing i know he's bumped her and he's all the way to my right i can just very simply turn my feet mm-hmm. and square up and shoot in one really easy smooth motion i don't have to pick the bow up over the tether and all that kind of stuff I'm not saying it's not preferable, but I, back to my original point, if you're the guy, if you're a guy who's struggling with just making it all come together, um, the the marketing of the saddle feels to me like it. They're trying to tell you you're going to be this versatile hunter and it's going to solve a lot of these problems, and you're just going to get shot after shot after shot. And no, it seems no. to me like it's it's at least until you, I don't want to say master it, but until you get good with it, that it's actually going to be more difficult for you to close the deal because you're in a much more unnatural position, at least unnatural what you've come accustomed to. Mm-hmm. If you've been well, sitting in tree stands, bow hunting your whole career. Yeah, no. And that what you're saying is correct, but it's the same principle of somebody who doesn't really have very many kills or any kills under their belt with a compound. And all of a sudden they say, Hey, I want to shoot a recurve. I want to go bow hunt with a recurve. Well, you haven't even learned how to kill deer with a compound yet, and you think you're going to go out and yeah. sure. kill something with a recurve? That's it's a very good concept. point. Yeah. So, it's a, so, that, that really encompasses my, 
that you 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 encompass what I was trying to say very well. The saddle thing, <laughs> I think I, I I see a lot of the pros, but I think what I see from the outside looking in, again, disclaiming that I haven't tried it, is there's a lot of pros, and I've even considered them myself. You know, here late in the season, wanting to hunt a, a few different spots and not having the time to go set something up in those spots. It looks to me like a kind of a level up like it you know for all the pros it it looks to me like you got to be a little bit even more on your game if you're gonna hunt that way as opposed to what it's become this you want to be a better hunter here's the next latest thing that's going to make you a more effective bow hunter and i don't i don't think that's the case Harmon. i think what you said is exactly no. right it's the, it's it's more akin to I'm going to try to kill one with a trad bow after, after being a compound hunter. Well, um, yeah. you know, what we've talked about on the podcast a lot is that this whole podcast and, and about 75 to 80% of <clears throat> all of our topics are geared towards making you a better hunter, not telling you what equipment's going to make this easier for you. And, um, with all the guests that we have and all the topics we've covered, the, the, the common theme between all of them is we want you to be a better woodsman because your ability to read information in the woods and set up in the right spot and land on the X and, and it maybe not, maybe it's not always killing deer, but at a, at a minimum seeing deer frequently that I think we can all agree that's a win in and of itself. Even if you aren't dragging something out at the end of the hunt, just, just, continually confirming hey i know how to get close to deer is um, a powerful skill to possess and when it comes to saddles or not just saddles but that's the topic of the the day um i'm i'm personally just really tired of hearing people with really weak hunting resumes telling me how great they are and um that's that's my personal outlook on it is that it's number one i've already decided it's not for me for my own reasons and i don't mean that from a naysaying standpoint it's just like you said Harmon. i'm a big dude i'm 275 pounds 6'2 i'm very top heavy okay um i'm i'm not your average you know saddle comfort hunter that's not my thing um and, and, as, and as somebody else, I was talking to Jeff Kane um, on the internet, on Facebook, uh, on the community a couple of weeks back, um, and he was telling me how great a saddle was and, and how it's he, – he said something very definitive. He's like, it's just the best and <laughs> like the, the end of story. And I was like, well, hold on. It's the best <laughs> for you. If it works for you, that's great. But you can't – like that's like saying like, like the Ford F-150 is simply the best truck, no, no hands down, no matter what. Like, okay, there's some people that tow some really heavy shit that would disagree with you. You know, there's some people that like cars. And, um, and so the, the idea that the saddle is a fix-all for the hunting world is silly to me because for people like me, I'm, I consider my, myself to be like a pack mule that only has one gear and it's four low. Okay, weight is not really an issue for me. I, I could carry 40 pounds in and out of the woods and not break a sweat and not get my heart beat up. But there might be some people that would struggle with that greatly that are smaller framed. And But at the same time, if we, if we have to walk a mile and a half in the woods, you're definitely going to beat me to the spot. Okay, every time. I'm never going to be the speed demon getting in there and getting out. And so everybody's different. Um, and that's part of the reason why we're covering the saddle topic now is that, you know, there's enough people that 
it will fit their style of hunting that, that, that if they are looking to get into it, I definitely want them to be informed about it. Um, but, um, you know, for, like for me personally, it's not my thing for Locke. It's not his thing. He hunts private land. Like you said, Harmon, that'd be ridiculous. Like if Locke called me and was like, Hey man, I just got the new tethered phantom in. I'd be like, what the frick is wrong with you? Why, yeah. <laughs> why would you do Are you going to have some pre-hung saddle sets, you know? Um, and so I just, um, I, I, I would like to put emphasis on the fact that we want you to be a better hunter, not well, be I, better at buying equipment. You one, know. one thing, actually, what you just said is kind of funny because my brother, he he is primarily hunted uh, the private land that we have access to, and there are several spots that he has actually gone in and hung climbing sticks in the perfect location, and it's <laughs> just the climbing sticks. Yeah. And so rather than having like eight lock-ons all over the place, he'll go to you know buy these cheap climbing sticks and just leave them up in the woods and he'll like yep that's the spot i'm gonna hunt that's not a, I had a buddy idea. that killed a deer i have a buddy that i was hunting with him uh two weeks ago i think and he's got a big place um like a 900 acres or something and there stands everywhere and they've been bow hunting only for since we were kids and but he got a saddle because uh, I, I guess this kind of leads me into a little bit of a rebuttal, even though I do agree with you, Kyler, in principle. I was thinking about it, and he was part of the reason. You know, he's um, he, the ability to hunt a little differently without having to do a lot of disturbing and moving around. But anyway, he, he killed a deer. I was out there hunting with him, and um, I didn't even know he had a saddle. Like, honestly, I had no idea he even had it. He drops me off. I go get in this ladder stand. And he texts me, shoots a buck, and I go over there, and there's this old, like, 12-foot ladder stand that's been there forever. And he was actually walking down to the end of this this long field to, to get in another set and saw this buck chasing a doe, grabbed his saddle, went half the distance, climbed up to the top of this little 12-foot ladder, stuck one stick up, and got up in the saddle, and the deer come back out chasing doe, and he killed it. So... Um, and I've been thinking about that. Like I hunt private land, but there's also like, okay, I don't, I don't want to move my sets because I have them there for a reason and I yep. don't want to go buy another lock on. And I also back to yep. what we first started talking about, all of us, you guys are, you know, running your own business and, and I'm not, well, I'm doing that on the side and plus I'm squeezing in hunts in the same fashion. And I don't, I don't have half a day to go set a stand up and then hope the weather gets right and it cools down and I can get back in there and hunt it, you know, and I might just want to be hunting. Yeah. You know, I've got a spot like this right now where I just need to be like 75 or 80 yards, but I don't, I haven't had the freedom here at the end of the season to go in there and, and, and move a set, you know, mm-hmm. that kind that's, of thing. That's the beauty of the saddle right there. Like everything you just described is, is that that's some pros that we didn't, it's hard to like, encapsulate but you just i've identified that issues i've identified that yeah and that's that is the that's honestly like my brother talked about it for a couple of years because he's he's he moves around a lot but he likes hunting out of lock-ons he's you know and we we hunt private a lot like i've got access to private he's hunting private um and i hunt just a, a healthy a healthy mixture of public and private and he like my brother in that situation, like there's these spots where he's like, you know, I'd like to go check this spot out, but I don't want to take the time to go move a lock on in. So he'll go hunting out of a saddle. And if he sees deer, he's like, 
yeah, this is a spot I need to be in, and he'll move a lock on. But like in your situation, like we we have our our established in this. I've got land that I grew up hunting, and man, there's spots that they're always going to be good spots. It's just the places that deer like to be certain times of the year, whether there's acorns there, whether it's um, you know rut activity, like for whatever reason, that's where deer like to be at certain times of the year. And we have permanent lock-ons. Um, you know, we change the stripes out on them every couple of years, you know, like the stands stay there and there's no point in having a saddle in that situation. Yeah. But for those new, those new spots, um, you know, the, the ones that are 70 and 80 yards away where you're like, man, I don't really want to go through the process of climbing and going and buying another stand because all my good stands that I like to hunt out of, they're already up in a tree and I don't necessarily want to take it down because then it's in, it's in a good spot. You know, that's yeah. the situation where the saddle shines. And going back to the, the con aspect of it, I mean, if you are not being successful out of your ladder stands, out of your lock-ons, out of your climbers, out of your ground blinds, you're not going to be successful out of a ladder stand, mm-hmm. period. Yeah, the other like things to focus not, on. It's not going to make you a better hunter. All it is is it's adding a tool to your toolbox. You know, it's, it's adding to what you already have um it adds it opens up the opportunity if you are um experienced enough to add to if that makes any sense like yeah it's it's not it doesn't it's not like a oh my gosh this is a it's not like if i buy a rage broadhead i'm gonna kill every deer and there's gonna be a massive blood trail from now on you know like rage in the cage and it's gonna put the deer down it's the same scenario going on right now, man. It's marketing. Like everybody you talk to that hunts with the rage, it's the best broadhead ever. And you can shoot them in the tail and the deer's going to die. Um, <laughs> y'all might shoot rages and I'm not knocking you too bad, No, but you know, I, that's, that's the, it's the same consensus, we you know, like it's whatever's going on, whoever's spending the money, whoever's talking about it most. And like I, we kind of mentioned at the, I don't remember if this is before the podcast or not, but like, I almost hate that saddle hunting is as popular as what it is now. Because now it looks like I'm just jumping in with the fad when I was, it took me a long time to jump <laughs> over because of the, the traditional bow situation, because I was like, this fits my style of hunting. Well, I got it and I killed several deer with it the first year. And the next thing I know, everybody and their dog has a saddle and they're talking about, oh, it's the best thing ever you could ever imagine. And you start talking to these people. And the only reason why they're running their mouth is because they've been listening to a Dan Infault podcast and now yeah. they're little dan juniors running around and think that they're gonna gonna be you know some the the next buckmaster because they have a saddle and they're shooting a rage broadhead yeah you know, i mean it's, it's, like i i hate marketing that's part of the reason why I, I, let me take that back i have a marketing degree i love marketing i hate i hate the the marketing aspect of the outdoor industry right now like it's part of the reason why i've gone traditional um, it's kind of like a pushback against all this stuff. Like I almost, like I, I couldn't tell you the last time people are all the time asking me, did you see so-and-so's hunting show? I'm like, man, I couldn't tell you the last time I watched a, a, an actual hunting show. Yeah. And it's just because of the ads, like the, in your face, this is what you got to have. You know, if you're not shooting this, if you're not hunting this style, if you're not hunting this way, then you're not a hunter. And, and if this person is talking about it loud enough, then they're the ones who knows what's going on. And it drives me batty. Yeah. And unfortunately, no wonder like you I'm and Kyle are getting along so well. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Locke, Locke doesn't share the same sentiment. 
Um, but, well, uh, I agree. I agree with you. I'm just not as callous to it as you guys are. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so let's so let's talk about why saddles are so popular. I, I have the, I have my theories, uh, and I, if you would um, uh, if you would let me, I would like to vomit them onto y'all. Um, so so um, if we look at this from a time frame uh, perspective. Um, you made some great points. Guido's Web has been around since the 90s, maybe even the late 80s. Um, tree Saddle, like there used to be a thing called Tree Saddle, a company named it. They're not around anymore, apparently. Um, yeah. So these, this is not revolutionary. This is not new. And so when, when things catch on years and years afterwards, um, it becomes the hunting industry version of like a, a cult classic, such as like um, Pulp Fiction or Clerks, or Boondock Saints. Okay, why did those movies become more popular years and years and years after they left the Shawshank Redemption, you know, Forrest Gump even? Why did they become so popular years after what they were released? And it's, it's a lot of times it's because it sometimes takes a different generation, a different mindset to appreciate either the humor or the, um, the style or whatever that it was filmed in. And, um, other times it's like in Shawshank Redemption's case, you couldn't click past TBS in, in the early two thousands without that damn movie being on. Okay. Um, it was, if I haven't seen that movie 40 times, I haven't seen it once. And, um, saddles are following a similar path in the fact that if it's not new and in in the improvements aren't that great well then it's got to be something else right and what it is is it's a perfect storm between social media reach um the fact that influencers of social media are becoming increasingly increasingly um from the regular joe normal people realm versus celebrity and professional realm and um and also testimonies Right. Um, People saying over and over and over again, I bought this. It was great. It would be great for you, too. And um, testimonials, I mean. And but there's a big marketing piece in there. Of course, that's important because, like, for example, I I would bet money that there's people listening to this right now that are like, wow, Harmon hunts out of an arrow an arrow hunter kestrel. Why isn't he in a tethered? Well, like you said, you've been saddle hunting before tethered was anything. That's why. And people that think tether is the only option are clearly the newest generation of not just saddle hunters, but hunters, most likely. And um, so it's a new generation. It's people that are more impressionable by um, opinions off the Internet and then repeated marketing tactics over and over and over again and then also this belief that it's not not necessarily a fix-all but it's going to be I need that because I hunt this way my belief is I have a theory that I think hunters and especially mobile hunters have become unconsciously intolerant of the products that we have had options to buy over the last five to 10 years. Um, and when you think about it, when was the last time Lone Wolf came out with something really big? Um, not Lone Wolf custom gear. Cause that's a whole, that's a whole, I don't even have enough time to record a podcast. I want to think about <laughs> the, the DeQuistos. Okay. Um, but 
Lone Wolf has been releasing a fantastic product at a very high price point that has been just like order from China, repeat. Order from, or I'm sorry, not, I don't think they do it in China anymore, but, but order from the casting uh, forging, forging company and, and push the same product out the door year after year after year. They have the same product line, not a lot of improvements to it. Um, you have Summit Stands who, same thing. They're pushing the same thing. Prices are increasing upwards and upwards because of um, the cost of metals and the cost of doing business, especially on importations of, of products. My theory is that if there was revolutionary continual um, growth and improvements to standard hunting equipment and not the same, same old, same old, just increase the price on what's kind of coming out of the manufacturer's pipeline every year, I think that the um, saddles would be less popular because people wouldn't be looking so hard for a better way to be a mobile hunter. That's my theory. So I don't necessarily think saddles are that popular because saddles are saddles. I think it is a subconscious um, push away from the lack of innovation in tree stand technology. This is also a great time to tell you, as Harmon and, and you, Locke, know, since that is my theory, I'm toying around with a carbon fiber deer stand. And, <laughs> and, and it's not even necessarily to sell. I'm not one of these people who's like, oh, I'm going to make a deer stand and be a millionaire. That's, like, that's not even my point. I've been open about it. I've posted about it a few times. And um, the reality is that it is not... It is a very viable material to work with. Um, it is extremely strong. In most cases, it's much stronger than aluminum. It's not this brittle, like, glass structure that people like to make it out to be. Um, but most importantly, the thing that people are doing or manufacturers are doing to save weight is they're sacrificing size. And I mean, you, could, there's, you could only make a deer stand so small. Like, I couldn't imagine hunting out of anything smaller than an M7. Personally, I'm a big guy. I wear a size 12 shoe. You know, like an M7, I, I, I sit half the time with my toes almost hanging uh, with like only my heels on the stand and my toes hanging way off. And so my theory is if we go to different materials like carbon fiber or um, even titanium, and titanium weighs more than aluminum, so it had to be really skeletonized like a bee stick or something, Um if you go to different materials, you can retain stand size. So you're keeping the people that don't like the shrinking platform uh, uh, fad that's going on right now, and you can have a lighter product. And so um, last year, I created um, my, my, like my first proof of concept sticks that were made out of carbon fiber. Harmon, you know this. You have two of them. I sent them to you last year to use them and, and hunt out of them and prototype them. And um, it's, it's, the, it's the first design of something. They're not perfect. They don't nest together. They ring like a tuning fork because carbon fiber, for what it is, is very dense. Um, and they're, uh, they are, even though, it's very, even though it's not very thick, it's very dense and it, and it's, um, it, it resonates. Um, but um, have you killed yourself with them yet? 
No, not yet. Not yet. Yeah. So, you know, that's chalk that up, chalk that one up to safety. Okay. Right. Um, there's our safety R and D is that Harmon hasn't died. I haven't died. I'm way bigger than Harmon and I've hunted them in very, very cold temperatures. And, um, and so now I'm going in the other direction with these carbon fiber stand. Sure. Um, it's, and it's, it's very viable, but my goal with the whole system, and like I said, I'm not, I, I doubt I'll ever sell these things. Okay. It's more just like, Hey, I can prove this is happening. I can prove that this is possible. I want to make four sticks and a lock on stand that weigh 10 pounds combined. Yeah. I, so if, if you were, if somebody was to do that and it be an affordable situation, the whole saddle situation, the whole saddle fad, I think would die off pretty quick. Pretty quick. That's okay, so let me be I, the I let me the, be the contrarian. The reason for people going to the saddle was for for it being so lightweight, mm-hmm. um, and so mo- the mobile guys are looking for something that's lightweight, uh, that's quick and quiet. Now, quiet is a big deal because all you're dealing with is cloth and rope. Sure. Um, so, um, but lightweight. Um, you know, easy to pack. Um, you know, like if I'm going a really long ways and I know I won't wear my saddle in, especially if it's hot in early October, I'll throw that thing in my backpack, um, and go. Um, so like, I, I really think like if somebody was to go and make all this lightweight stuff, they probably would, you know, kill the, or, or damage the saddle industry a pretty good bit. Other than the fact you know, then you, then you have the comfort aspect of it. I, I think, I think another reason why some people are going to it is because a lot of people find the saddle a lot more comfortable to hunt out of than a tree stand. Um, yeah. Because you're just, you're just kind of, it's like sitting in a swing set almost. And, uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's very, very comfortable for, for like to me, um, I find it very comfortable to sit in for a long, long time. Whereas a, a lock on, you know, your, your back's hurting, your butt's hurting, you're, you know, you're up and down trying to get comfortable or like in my situation, like I'm standing up on my feet full weight for like almost the entire hunt. And so like, I'm just using it as a, as a platform to stand on. Whereas with the saddle, I can stand, but it's almost like standing on the front of a, you know, like a bass boat with one of the the high seats up front that you're just kind of leaning on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same style, you know, so you've got some weight on your butt, some weight on your feet, and, you know, there's no major pressure anywhere. It's really, really comfortable. So and that's lock, one of the pros so, that, you know, people are going to. But Yeah, Locke, what were yeah. you going to say? I want to I be, be the contrarian, okay? You play it so, the oh, best of anybody. Yeah, so um, first of all, I'll say that so my, my theory on the saddle, like from the top, how do we get where we at today? All the things that we've talked about. So I think a lot of it has to do with fads. So, but from the top, I think that as you referred to outdoor TV and marketing and things like that, you watch the outdoor industry evolve and fads are a big thing. People start doing what other people are doing because it's cool, because they think it makes them look better, and there's a lot of ego involved in hunting, right? Sure. So, um, I, I think, but I think fads begin with a good idea. You know, fads begin with a good idea, and the saddle thing, and all the things that you're talking about with competing with that with a mobile system, 
that's lighter weight, made out of different materials, is a good idea. But what I think, and this is like kind of the asshole opinion, um, is what has gotten us to where we're at today is it has become extremely macho to be a DIY, public land, et cetera, et cetera, and the saddle amplifies that. Well, now oh, not yeah, only am I hard. a DIYer that hunts and hikes in and mobile hunts and all this, but I'm also hanging off the side of a tree. I'm not just, you know, sitting comfortably in a deer stand. It's this idea, this, this, I think it's a play to a lot of egos. Now, I don't mean that for the, the guys like, like you, Harmon, and Mr. Warren, the guys that have been hunting a long time and, and have, um, I think it got started and it created a market because there are a lot of pros to it and a lot of people, a lot of good hunters picked up on it. And it, like you said, it made you better at how you already hunt. But for all the other people that we're all kind of poking rib jabbing at, it's, you know, it's not cool to join a hunting lease and sit over a food plot and kill your deer. You need to be hiking two miles into a public place and DIYing it and doing all that. That, does that make sense? Sure. Oh no, you're hitting the nail on the head. Like that's a and and that's I think another that off-topic situation. Like it drives the whole. If if you didn't kill your deer on public land, then oh, you just killed it on private. Like that drives that mentality. I just want to slap people that that think that. Well, way. I, I mean, I think a, it, I think a perfect example is is the QDMA movement. The QDMA movement has been, in one man's opinion. I think it's a great thing. I, I I love the idea of killing mature animals, but it it it's gone through this fad where there's a whole lot of people trying to kill mature bucks because they're afraid of what somebody might say if they don't. Not because they truly, you know, um, get into the 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 hunt of chasing a mature animal. Not because they really want to grow the deer herd on their private land. They're doing it because everybody else is doing it. And because if they don't hunt that way, then they're somehow less of a hunter. Mm-hmm. It, this, in, this, in, the, in the same fashion, the DIY and public land stuff has taken over, like, to, to your point. Well, yeah, you killed a 140-inch buck, but, you know, I mean, that's probably anybody could have killed him there. You know, right. kind of yeah, thing. Who, and, and it's not like you didn't put, you know, 50 hours into that one animal studying him for five years to be able to actually kill him you yeah, killed him on private so you must have had him on a corn feeder every day and you just decided <laughs> to go in there and shoot him at two o'clock when he was showing up that's how you killed you know? jacob right <laughs> yeah i mean that's exactly yeah. how i shot him well yeah, i just and I, and I don't and, and i hope <laughs> i hope that people listening I, i'm not calling i have friends uh, across the country that are, are big time saddle hunters big time public land guys and and they all do it because they love it and i'm not pointing the fingers at anybody i know there's a lot of guys who like Maybe they bought it because it was a fad, but they found it is a very useful tool and all that. But, you know, just talking kind of, like I said, very high level about it. If you look at the, at the, at this growing trend, I think a lot of that in the hunting industry, um, the saddle points to, to the, to that similar symptom that you see in a lot of things where it's, you know, it's a follow the leader. It's, uh, you, you feel bigger and better and more accomplished if you're doing it the way that the public perceives you should be doing it or what is the, the more impressive way to do it. And I think that is why in January of 2020, we're looking at this, the, I guess, the, maybe the back end explosion of this saddle. It, it, started to, it started to fall in the direction of, 
okay, well, all the all these people, you know, it, it, it took on a little bit of a, a growth spurt with actual seasoned hunters identifying the pros of this and putting it to use, and then that just kind of, you know, exploded into this, okay, well, I can be more like Dan Infault since you used him as an example mm-hmm. i can be more like dan infault if i do that when you're nothing like dan infault to begin with and the saddle's yeah, not gonna you're make not that happen illinois you're, you're not having anyway i'll, I'll, I'll shut up yeah <laughs> well um yeah i i think you, you make a good point lock um no I, he's 100 percent right like i, I really I, I i agree completely like and i'm I'm a saddle person and I'm probably, unless something changes, I'll probably be a saddle person from now on until like my health changes or, yeah, you know, something like there's, I don't see me ever swapping away from a saddle ever. Like, honestly, like it, it just fits my style and it's just like, you know, my, my Simmons broadheads, I probably won't ever swap from shooting those broadheads because I found what works i like the performance and i'm very much a if it's not broke don't fix it um like it took when i was shooting a compound it took me years before i swapped from a fixed blade to actually try an expandable for the first time and then within three years i was shooting a trad bow yeah <laughs> and now like i'm hunting with a trad bow and i will probably never hunt you know with a compound again except for these random scenarios like me chasing an antelope at the last two days of my hunt this year uh <laughs> trying to kill it with a compound just to fill a tag because i don't want to have tag soup yeah um you well know, you told not knocking you, anybody who's going to do that but it you, fits me but i'm not doing it because oh it's what everybody else is doing it right now it just makes sense for how i hunt yeah and it's just like yeah what everything you're saying is completely completely true well you had, you had told me that um you were going to shoot simmons until Rage came out with her three and a half inch traditional <laughs> broadheads, uh, yeah, For, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm waiting. I'm waiting on Rage to come out with their traditional heads. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm ditching. I'm done with Simmons as soon as that happens. Rage traditional broadheads, yeah. So uh, uh, I actually know people who hunt. They have killed. They have killed deer with a Rage out of a recurve. Mm. I mean, Which, y'all, you got you got enough ass in the arrow. It'll it'll open. Yeah, yeah, it'll it'll do it. Uh, like I said, um, I, I mean, to, to each his own. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, look, uh, in typical fashion, we have another Harmon Carson two-hour episode, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it, it always happens that way. But um, but it's it, look, it's it's always a good conversation. We always learn a lot. Um, and uh, this time, <laughs> you, you learned how much I, I despise rage. <laughs> yeah, learn learn how much you, you regret buying a saddle, although you say you'll never change. And uh, um, you know, but wait, wait until I wait until you get a a, a four point two five pound uh, carbon fiber lock on in your hands, and we'll see uh, we'll see if you still sing sing the same tune. So hey, you. Uh, you make it. I tell you. I tell you something else. This is a total. I probably shouldn't even bring this up. This is a whole nother. Do you remember? I think they quit making them, and I don't know why. Uh, but the muddy blood sports. Uh, mm-hmm. No. The, no. The, the lock-ons that they mm-hmm. uh, they tied they they were mounted to the tree with just a rope. It's mm-hmm. the, they mounted yep. to the tree the same way the muddy pro light sticks did. Oh really? No. Uh. Uh-uh. I haven't seen like, that. 
Locke, did you ever use it or anything like that? No, I never used it, but I, I know what you're talking about. Uh, uh, man, that that style of hanging a tree where basically you just are, are hanging a, a lock on where you just you're throwing the rope around and pulling it through these two cleats. I forget what you call them, but yep. the two and and then you mm-hmm. you make your little half hitch on the back as your safety, and then you have you know a normal like cam buckle situation on the bottom. Um, man, you talk about quick and quiet. Uh, a buddy of mine hunted with one of those and the, they, they took them off the market and I don't know whether it was a safety issue or, or something. Uh, but to me, like as far as a quick, like if lock-ons could be attached to a tree that quick and quietly, I think it would make a big difference. But now you have like yeah. all these buckles and the ratchet straps. Now granted it might not be quite as secure, but for the mobile hunter, it makes more sense. Yeah. That's interesting. I'll have to look that up. I I never. I I mean, I'm very familiar with the um, with the uh, the the cleat system, the quick cleat uh, thing, um, the rope cleat, cam cleat, uh, whatever it's called. I know yeah, you're whatever. About. It's called. And because um, it was designed the same way the Muddy Pro Light sticks that I currently use, like the lock on, was the same exact uh, system. Interesting. I have to check that out. Well, um, all right. Well, let's uh. Let's wrap it up here, guys. Y'all got anything else that y'all want to add before we jump off? Saddles are not awesome. for me. You need one. Saddles are stupid. Um, <laughs> nobody needs a saddle. I'm somewhere in between. Yeah. <laughs> somebody, somebody, um, somebody asked me uh, back in the fall. They're like, "Why?" <laughs> they said, um, "Kyler, how can you not like a saddle if you've never tried one?" And I was like, "I've never kissed a guy either." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't have to try everything to know that I wouldn't like it, you know. <laughs> they stopped asking. Yeah, me. I don't, I don't have me. any comment. Yeah. I, don't, I don't have any. Yeah. I don't have any follow yeah. up to that. Yep. All right. Well, episode forty-five <laughs> of Louisiana Boner Podcast. Harmon, thanks for joining us, man. Um, as yes, always, sir. thank you. Appreciate you, Locke. Um, yep. You're the man, and uh, I hope you are. You going to hunt? You got what? You gonna hunt this one week? more day. One more day. One more day. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to make one more day. So maybe Thursday. Harmon, what about you? Yeah, I'm gonna try to squeeze in a couple of hunts this week. Um, the rain, rain. It's it's too late in the year, and I'm done with my buck tag, so I'm not about to go get wet. Yeah. So I'll hunt on days where it's not raining. So I think I might have Thursday and Friday. Cool. Um, where I might hunt. So yeah. try to kill another doe. Well, good luck, guys. All right, Appreciate guys. it, man. You too. If you get to go. Enjoyed it. All right. See y'all. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bowhunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week.